This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. Washington Wise from Charles Schwab is an original podcast that unpacks the stories making news there. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise. Today on Watching Your Wealth, how to take control of your financial destiny. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. This is Veronica Dagger, and you're listening to Watching Your Wealth, where you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Sarah Newcomb is a behavioral economist at Morningstar. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to have you. So, Sarah, how come some people feel out of control financially, even though they're wealthy? Mm. It can be really surprising for people to learn that this is actually pretty common. Um, But I've spent about six months doing focus groups with financial advisors. And every single one of them has a client who is economically very sound, but they're filled with anxiety all the same. And... um, What I've tried to do is to incorporate this finding into a definition of financial health that can uh, help us understand where this is coming from. And what I've learned is that a lot of this uh, sense of anxiety, whether someone is wealthy or not, is coming from a sense that they are not in control of what happens to them financially. So you may have plenty of wealth, but you're going to be on the defense uh, trying to protect it constantly if you fear global economic collapse or if you are afraid um, that forces outside of yourself have more control over your financial future than you do. So how can you feel more in control? Because we're never going to be able to control some of those external factors. Right. Well, so one of my financial mentors, Jim Grubman, puts it really well. He he calls this group the the worried wealthy. And I, I think he's he's really put his finger on on what's going on here, which is that there's this pernicious uh, what if, uh, this belief that something out there is is going to come and take it all away. Um, and what we have to do is turn the what if. We have to t- face it head on and turn every what if into a so what. So so what if you lose your job and you go bankrupt? Okay, what then? Would you move in with family, with friends? Would you maybe spend more time with your grandkids as a result? The reality is that every catastrophe that we can imagine really does have a silver lining. And what we find when we start to face these fears head on is that we can start to relax and realize that the things that really matter to us and the people that really matter to us will still be there on the other side of the what if. And at that point, we're able to relax and breathe a bit. And what we've been trying to feel, which is peace of mind, and people try to feel that by hanging on tighter and controlling more and more, we actually feel more in control when we can have a sense that, you know what, I can handle what comes my way. You can handle it. It might be very difficult to go through, though. Sure. And I think that that's where the the worried wealthy are often worried about losing wealth. But they don't think that next step, well, what happens if I lose my wealth? Do I lose my friends? Do I lose the social network that I rely on? Do I lose status? Those are the things we're really afraid of. And I think so often we forget when we think about economic health and well-being, we forget that we're talking about socioeconomics and we forget about the socio. 
And so in all of our measures of financial health, any any measure of financial health would tell you that someone above a certain net worth is in excellent financial health. But I disagree. If their lives are ruled by anxiety, they're wealthy, but they're not well. And what we're really after in all of our financial lives and in the advice that we give in the financial industry, we're after well-being, not necessarily wealth. And there's an assumption that I think is really uh, underneath all of this, that peace of mind and stability will naturally follow with increased wealth. And my research shows that that's not true. So how can we redefine financial health so we're not so swayed by anxiety and filled with anxiety? <laughs> Well, so what I've done and what we've done at Morningstar is we've done some work to define financial health on two dimensions rather than one. Of course, we need to still measure economic stability. A huge and critical part of financial health is being able to financially weather any shock that may come your way or any realistic shock that may come your way. That is a critical part of financial health. But we also have come up with a measure of emotional well-being. And what we found is then some simple, changeable factors of psychology that are associated with each one of these dimensions. So that whether it's the economic dimension that you're struggling with, we can help point you to a psychological factor that you can work on yourself to increase your economic stability. And if it's the emotional uh, factor, if you're doing all right financially, but there's no number that's going to feel satisfying to you, then you want to focus on understanding how you really do uh, have control in, in your financial life, where you have control and how you can start to feel more powerful in your financial life. So it's this two-dimensional aspect, the two-dimensional measurement of financial health that's really critical here because financial health is not just wealth, it's well-being. What about taking a longer time frame or sort of a, taking a, a broader perspective in terms of how much time you have to, you know, get your financial life together to feel healthy? Yeah, well, so again, the economic factor of financial health, what I found in my work was that regardless of income, regardless of age, education, gender, all the demographic factors that we tend to associate with, uh, with wealth and that we look at when we're trying to make comparisons around who's a better saver, who's, a, who's more of a spender, those things didn't matter nearly as much as how far ahead someone was thinking in time. So I found that in every single income group, the people who were thinking 10 years or more ahead had significantly more saved for retirement, regardless of their age or their income, than the people who were in the same demographic group, but not thinking as far ahead. And I'm not talking just about statistical significance here. I'm talking about really dramatic savings differences. So for example, if people were earning at least $50,000 a year, the average savings balances for people who were thinking 10 years ahead or more was greater than $100,000 in each income group. So it's a huge difference just thinking further ahead. And we all know in the financial industry that present bias is one of the biggest detractors from good financial health and behavior. And we all have some present bias. We all discount the future, which is what makes us more likely to take uh, a small payoff now 
versus a larger one in the future. But a lot of research in psychology and now in behavioral economics is showing that some people are more naturally short-term thinkers than others. And I'm guilty of this. I am a short-term thinker. So this has been especially useful for me. So short-term thinkers have stronger present bias than long-term thinkers. And there's some evidence that we actually experience time differently. So if you're a short-term thinker, then waiting for a payoff is actually more painful than it is for our lucky patient peers. Hmm. So the problem is that this, this present bias puts, it, it puts it, us at higher risk for all sorts of problems, from drug addiction to high debt-to-income ratios and lower savings rates. And when we do invest, we may be more drawn to the high-risk high reward approach than to the slow and steady route. So training yourself to think further ahead than you're used to may actually be the key to really changing yourself from a spender into a saver and really gaining economic strength. So is 10 year the guideline, like think 10 years ahead? Is that a general? Well, that's a tipping point in my research. Um, that was where I really saw the break between people who were um, who were not high on the economic stability dimension and those who were. Interesting. And how specific of a vision do we need for the future? Well, the clearer, the better. I mean, all the, all the work in this area shows phenomenon of psychological distance, which is just how far away something feels, really affects how much we care about it. And when something is far from us psychologically, we don't think of it in very much detail. We think of, we think in broad terms. So, well, when I retire, I want to be happy. I want to relax. I want to travel, right? But what we really need to do is see a very clear and detailed picture of what we're looking for because that tricks our brain into caring more because it feels more real. It feels more uh, psychologically close. And that actually increases how much we care about that future. So by adding detail and clarity to your picture of the future, you can increase your likelihood to plan for that future. Interesting. Sarah, we need to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'd like for you to take our fun financial quiz. All right. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Follow the Wall Street Journal on your favorite podcast app. Search WSJ on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and any Amazon Alexa device. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. We're back with Morningstar Sarah Newcomb, who's going to take our fun financial quiz. Sarah, you ready? I'm ready. All right, what's the best financial advice you ever heard? To find the intersection between what you love, what you're good at, and what you can get paid for. Nice. Worst financial advice you ever heard? To look for jobs based on what's in demand. Oh, interesting. Fill in the blank. Money can buy? Security. Fill in the blank. Money can't buy? Joy. And if you won a million dollars after tax, what would you do with it? I would pay off all my student loans, buy a house, and invest the rest. Sounds great. Thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. Thank you. 
And this has been Watching Your Wealth, a production of The Wall Street Journal. I'm Veronica Dagger. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously.